at the end of the day, what we're doing is for fun. It's for entertainment. It's, I mean, we are, I, I tell people all the time who ask what I do for a living that aren't in the business that my wife does all the work. I just go play for a living. Like I'm playing pretend for a living. That's what we do. We just play pretend. So even though I'm the stressful side and the logistical side of all those things, I do try to keep that mindset of like, at the end of the day, we're like, we're playing pretend like we used to as kids. Like we're making a movie. We're making a show for, and for most time, entertainment. Welcome back to another episode of the Rough Cut Club. I am your host, Joey Nakotra, here with a man like no other, my good friend and partner, Mr. Shane Reitzammer. Shane, how are you doing today, man? Great, man. It's a pleasant 101 degrees in Dallas, Texas, but inside the studio, it's a cool 75. You can't beat inside weather right now. It is hot in Texas. So anyway, we have a really good episode today with someone who... Shane and I have both been fortunate enough to work with in the past, uh, and he is a very well-respected assistant director, and most notably, the AD on the largest crowdfunded film in history, The Chosen. And so we are excited to welcome the most incredible amateur basketball pickup game player in the filmmaking game, the Drakenator himself, Mr. Adam Drake. Welcome to the show, my friend. Well, thank you for the amazing introduction. I mean, all, it's, that's all one of you that voted me for the basketball. <laughs> I don't know if anybody else would agree with you. Uh, but yes, thank you for the awesome introduction. Yeah, <laughs> man. Adam is a secret uh, pickup basketball game wizard, and uh, we did a pickup basketball game project, and uh, he went out there and stomp- stomped the competition out of nowhere. So uh, That was such a fun video you guys yeah. created, man. <laughs> like, love that uh, show, and I, I hope there's like future episodes to come one day, but yeah, I didn't know you could ball like that. Yeah, dude, I really hope that gets picked up too. That was so much fun, and still that that uh, that shoot was awesome. I love what we got. The yeah, man, the concept and all that is so much fun. Uh, yeah, I do hope it gets picked up. But yes, I did play. I played college basketball, so I've got that. Ah. Secret. So ah. I, I, I know I'm short. I'm short and I'm white and I'm overweight. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, that, Where'd you play? I played at Trevecca Nazarene University here in Nashville. Oh, nice. that's awesome, dude! Yeah. yeah, super, super cool, man. Well. Uh, Adam and uh, our paths all kind of crossed on set of uh, Washington's Armor, which was a feature that I got to come in and help DP the last half of. Um, And so we got to meet and I got to see him work in the field there and he definitely ran a tight ship. And uh, I was impressed by uh, just how well you kept the production flowing and you know, you were very calm, cool, and collected the whole time. It wasn't like a scramble. You just had everything under control. And so uh, with that, we kind of wanted to dive into, you know, your journey as an AD and then some ninja tactics on how other people who are aspiring in that role can excel. And so just to kind of kick this thing off, uh, can you describe in your own words what your role really is on set and what your primary objective is when you work with a director? The idea of a first assistant director, especially for somebody that's never been on set before, it uh, very much seems like the director, like the showrunner or the director. You are um, doing everything so uh, that 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 comes. So if you come to set, you you would see me kind of coaching everybody, telling everybody where to go and what to do. And and even like, for instance, on The Chosen, I call action and I call cut and I call all the things. So 
uh, you would assume I'm the director, but it, it's uh, it's very much the logistical side of things while the director is focusing on the creative. So I'm solving all the logistical problems um, that are current on set um, versus the director who's doing more of the creative side. And the way that trickles down from like a producer is a producer's kind of overall before they, you know, and, and kind of prepping you for set. And then the first AD is kind of more like an onset producer. That's why I like a lot of you know things that aren't features, commercials, and things like that. A lot of times, the producer in, is the first. They don't they don't want to hire that much crew or have that many people, and it's smaller. So a lot of times, the producer will just first, which is kind of a continuation of that. Do you feel like there is a benefit in your mind to having a producer also act as a first AD, or or more of a benefit having a first AD who is separate from the producing role? Yeah. I think it all depends on the project. Every project's so different and it can get wonky if you're the first AD supposed to be helping the director and kind of helping him or him or her with their vision and, and what they want to do. But if you're also their boss as a producer, then that, that can be kind of weird because you're like, you know, an AD would technically be working for the director, whereas the producer is, listen, I'm hiring you. This is what we're doing. So it depends. But like, for instance, like The Chosen, Dallas is producer, director, creator, all the above. So even if I am a producer, which, which I am on The Chosen now, I'm producer and first AD, it, it, uh, you know, that doesn't matter. It doesn't change anything with my relationship with him because he's still the boss, right? <laughs> so, but it does help me in other roles of being um, a, higher, a, a higher position to, to, to work with other crew members. That's awesome, man. Man, I, I can't agree more with you because I feel like and I you know, I come from the commercial experience, but I produce, you know, a lot of our content and then I'll be the director on set, which is great because then it's, you know, okay, I'm like visionary for the project and then I'm visionary execution on the project. But a lot of times, like you said, if our crew's really small, I'm also the AD. So I'm 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 having to drive the ship, solve the logistical problems and do the creative uh, direction. It's a luxury when I can have a crew and I can hire an AD so I can really focus on the creative. Um, but man, it's it's so so true. Like that that mentality of like swapping seats from like visionary overall and then being on set and executing it uh, between those three positions. Definitely, definitely. So, you know, in my mind, there is so much competition around camera department. Um, also wanting to be a director, even G&E and audio, like there's so much uh, competition, if you will, for those roles. I feel like an AD is kind of a role that has less competition, correct me if I'm wrong, than some of the other roles in a narrative set. How did you wind up, you know, getting into pursuing the AD role? Um, and and kind of what's your why behind being passionate about assistant directing? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. I love that question. Well, yeah, uh, I, I don't meet very many people, uh, if not <laughs> no one that goes, I want to be a first assistant director. That is not like everyone's <laughs> yeah. a director, producer, or cinematographer. I've taught, at, I've helped teach at a lot of film schools too, and colleges and stuff like that. And you, you know, ask, and I ask the room all the time and I've even done public events and speaking and stuff. And you ask the room, nobody raises Anybody want to be a first AD? Most people don't know what it is. And secondly, <laughs> if they do know what it is, they're like, no, I got no interest in that. So yeah, there's not much competition there. Although there is a lot of competition, I'd say that are that of, of actual first ADs, right? But not, not young and upcoming filmmakers that want to be a first AD. Mm. So of course, that was not my original goal either. Um, that wasn't what necessarily what I was pursuing. Um, I started out in the business as an actor. That's what got me on set. 
And when I got on set, I just absolutely fell in love with the process of it. And so I wanted to make my own stuff. And so then I started just kind of creating my own. And I'm not, what I'm really bad at is writing. I'm a terrible writer. So, but I started teaming up with people who had good ideas and good writing. And I had ideas and creative things. So I thought more like a cinematographer. I was very visual. So I did a lot of that. I've shot a lot of my own things and kind of did a lot of my own little shoots. As you know, I used to have, I used to have a red and I, I had a camera and a business and I, I kind of shot a lot of stuff too. And then that, that led, of course, into directing my own stuff and kind of directing a lot of that stuff as well. So just that's what got me into the business, got me really interested. And then as far as specifically getting into now first ADing um, also came from originally as an actor. So as an actor, um, when I was first getting started and looking for work, I was getting stand-in work. I was a stand-in. And so... As a stand-in, I, I tell everybody this is the number one position to learn any role you want on set, whether you want to be a director or a DP or a producer or anything. Mm-hmm. The number one position you can learn on set is a stand-in. It's not a PA because a PA, you can get stuck on a lockup that's offset or somewhere mm-hmm. else or you're doing coffee runs. A stand-in, your only job is to pay attention. All you have to do is be close to set and listen. And that's it. You have no other responsibilities basically except you know you're standing in for – when the DP is lighting, you're standing in for the actors and your only job is to pay attention to what the actors are doing and then paying attention to what everybody else is doing and hearing your name when it's called. So when I was a stand in, I remember watching um, a really good first AD work and just going, I feel like I could do that or I'd be good at that. Um, you know, I was like, but I still wasn't like, oh, I want to do that. But I was just like, I think I'd be good at that. And then it was it, the opportunity presented itself early on in my career where there was a, it was, uh, a church that was making uh, a real low budget film, you know, it was mostly volunteers and they only had like five, you know, professional crew members. And I'd AC'd a lot and I'd been a lot of features at that point and worked on a lot of films and music videos and commercials and things like that. So they brought me on as, as one of their professional crew members and one and asked me to come be their line producer and their first AD. And so I'd never done it before, but I'd been on a lot of set and I'd seen it done. And so then I went and did it. Um, and and enjoyed it kind of learned as i went but i i knew how to run the set because i had seen a lot of that it was the scheduling and the all the other stuff that you know i had to learn but actually running the set of making the day-to-day work i'd seen done and done well and so i just kind of mimicked that and there was a producer attached to that film that immediately was doing another one a month later and said hey would you come do this movie and how long you been doing this and i said well you know long enough uh, even though it was my first one and <laughs> went and did that movie and then I, and the rest of this history i just kind of kept going movie to movie and i learned every time i went so I didn't do the normal traditional route of where you PA uh, was a production assistant for a long time, and then a second, second, and then a second, and then a first. I started out firsting before I <laughs> PA'd. So, um, and then, so I did just kind of fall into it, but then just felt um, like it's exactly where I'm supposed to, supposed to be. I feel called into it now. It's the perfect place for me to also um, serve. Like, I still have other goals and ambitions of like, I am creating my own content and I want to direct and produce some of my own things. But I'm also very uh, com- learn to be comfortable with where I am, and I'm comfortable with uh, with firsting, and know that um, uh, that that it's what I'm called to do right now, and it's where I can it's where I can serve people too, like because um, the first AD takes a lot of the the grunt and the bulk and all the things that go wrong are come to me and are on me or my fault or a deal with, and so it's a it's a great place for me to be humbled and served too. So so that's why I'm also comfortable with uh, being where I'm at right now. That's awesome, man. And you've and you've uh, had a great opportunity to serve the chosen, right? You've been a part of that that project for how many years now? Has it been four? Uh, yeah, I think it's four four or five years it, since it started. I was with the first episode, so that was like I think it was 2017, 2016, 2017, somewhere in there. Twenty seventeen 
we started the first four episodes. So yeah, I've been with them from the very beginning. And how did you get that role as first AD in that production? Yeah, that's a, another thing that I really like to talk about is networking. And mm. so I, uh, early on in my career too, I was big into networking and, and, and was, went to all the film festivals, went to all the events, was just trying to meet and, and, and connect people. As you guys know, and I feel like we've kind of passed a lot of names back and forth and connected and done that as well. Um, but I was, I had produced my own film called heaven bound, um, that, uh, that I, I was made now shopping it in festivals too. And so shopping it, uh, with my producing partner, Tori Martin, who was friends with Dallas. He knew Dallas as well. Um, but we were showing our film at a film festival and it was shown back to back with resurrection of Gavin stone, which is the film that Dallas made. That was also a comedy. Mine was a comedy. His was a comedy. So they showed simultaneously Dallas saw our film, thought it was great. Loved it. We had lots of good things to say about it. We watched his film, talked about it. And then Tori introduced me to him and was like, I was also a great first AD if you need a first AD. And I was like, great. My first AD was terrible. And I would love to get, I'd love to try somebody new. And uh, so anyways, and then uh, it was a few years later that Chosen came along and, and Dallas had called several people, like other producers in the business too, and talked to several people. And he kept getting my name from not just Tori, but other people as well. And uh, so he called me, kind of did an extensive interview and said, uh, let's do it. Dude, that's so awesome. And the film festival circuit is such a great way to network and meet people who can take your career to the next level. Um, and and for, for those that don't know, for those that are living under a rock and don't know about The Chosen, um, you know, this is the number one crowdfunded film in history, if I'm not mistaken. Um, can you just give like a brief overview as to what The Chosen is for those that don't know about it? Yeah, so uh, it's um, it's based on biblical times. It's 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 about the life of Christ and his followers and disciples, and uh, kind of told more modernly. The way I the way I first described it when we came out with season one, uh, when everybody was most people didn't know about it and were kind of asking questions about it, like what is this? I always compare. I always said this is like the Christian or the biblical version of Lost. I thought Lost was so good about like deep character dives and diving into the character mm. and then connecting them. And then connecting those characters. And I feel like that's where we started with Chosen Season 1, too, was introducing these characters. Whether you know the Bible or not, we're introducing like Mary Magdalene and Peter and all these people. And and and, and you almost don't know who they are at first. And then, you're kind of, and then you meet them first. And then when they met Jesus. And so it's more of a <clears> – it's better storytelling. It's more of a deep dive into those characters, the disciples, versus just telling the Bible. It's, it's a deep dive into character development like a good show does. And uh, – so that's what the chosen is and what it does. And yes, it's the number one crowdfunded project of all time uh, by a landslide now. And uh, and it's done. It's done really well, dude. One of the coolest uh, shots that I got to see behind the scenes on on your Instagram was when Jesus fed the 5000 people. And you guys correct me if I'm wrong, but also made history with how many background extras you had during that scene with like a couple thousand people who are actual background that you had to help, uh, you know, direct and and kind of guide logistically. Tell me about that scene and that project and just the logistics that, you know, you had to coordinate for that. And I mean, I'm pretty sure that you guys also like booked out like the entire Metroplex in hotels. Uh, like, tell me a little bit about that scene specifically. So I, I don't think I don't know that we set records as far as the most background, um, you know, in a scene. But what we did that nobody else was doing was it was during COVID. That was the big deal. Mm. So we got and we got somewhere between I think it's around twelve thousand. We got somewhere between God. ten and fifteen thousand people to come out over three days. 
for feeding of the 5,000. And we had a total, I think it was around 12,000 people. And every single one of those people had to be COVID tested and like make sure they're good and do all that stuff. And so it was just, it was a logistical craziness. Yeah. So they all had to go to the Metroplex where they got tested and people who had flown in from another country, people who, who fly because they're, they're paying to be there. We're, we're not paying them. They're just paying to be a part of them, which is also, I don't think something any other show or even Marvel show does is, is they're paying us to be there basically. But even people that were coming from another country or different places, if they tested positive, had to be turned away and leave. Mm. So they came all the way out there during this COVID crisis. And of course, when you're not, you're supposed to be limiting your numbers. We did everything by the book though, that was SAG approved and approved by all the unions and approved by, you know, CDC and all that stuff to where we did this feat of getting over 10,000 people into one space when concerts weren't happening, when things like that weren't happening and filming and doing it safely and everybody's been tested and is COVID negative and, uh, and all that. And we had zero cases on set, which again, we were outside too. So that was helpful, but, but we, the, the feat was pulling all that off during the middle of COVID. That's insane. 10,000 people. That's a yeah. lot of that's COVID self-invested to be there. No, yeah. less. that's an awesome fan base. Okay. So talk about being on set during that scene as the first, like how many seconds did you have? How many P like, how did you corral that many people to get your scenes shot off? Yeah, it was, uh, well, also it was Texas heat. It was, Ooh. I believe it was each day. It was between a hundred and 105. Mm. We did, we had about, a 10 to 15 set medics and we had people that would pass and, and you're getting people out there that are wanting to be out there. So you're getting people that are, um, overweight, uh, too old, can't walk and shouldn't, you know, shouldn't be out in a field in the middle of the day in the middle of the seat. So we constantly had, I mean, it, and it would delay us shooting of people passing out and, um, and sending the set medic. So, um, yeah, I had, I had my normal team and then I probably had an additional 10 to 12 PAs all on walkie with me. And, um, and, and, and the way I handle it is I, I, I have to designate some of my team, right? So I have a strong second, second Mitch who works for me too, who has like a section that I have a key set PA. So it's like, so all of us can kind of manage because in one day or in two, two or three days, I'm not going to learn all 12 of my PA's names either. Cause they're only working with us for those few days. So I don't know everybody's name either. So it's kind of like, we kind of section each other off and I can give general directions of corralling. Mm. And that's what a lot of the PAs were for was kind of to form like basically a line to get the people there and then form, we had to put them in a certain formation and then to lay out my PAs in a certain formation that I want them that then they would corral the crowd into that formation. Um, and then I have a voice of God, which, which is uh, just a microphone with big speakers. We had these big giant speakers hidden in the trees and it went like three miles. I mean, it's, you could hear me from wow. a couple miles away with this giant uh, microphone and I use the microphone to kind of coach everybody, walk them in, make jokes, have a good time with them too, and keep them occupied. Uh, because it wasn't just the feeding of 5,000 too, wasn't just one scene. It was, I don't know, it was like 20 scenes over two or three days. And so wow. it's, it's constantly like there's shots that don't involve all of them, but I have to have them there and in pieces of them because we're also, we also have 25 main cast members that we're getting all the dialogue and shooting coverage and all the different things. So yeah, it was, a, it was kind of a logistical nightmare, but um, what, and then I, and so I kind of corral them in and kind of coach them in. And then I'd basically pass it off to Mitch and then Mitch would kind of walk them through stuff while I'm working with first team and making sure we're getting our coverage and telling them which direction we're doing all that. So it's just, um, it's very much a team effort. That's for sure of handling that many people. And, um, and so we're just constantly passing the mic to, to be able to communicate Dallas would jump on there and, you know, entertain them for a bit in between setups and things like that while we're finding the next shot. Um, yeah. And, and lots of stuff like that. 
Man, I that is that seems such like a daunting task to manage that many people. Like when I've got like thirty or fifty people on set, I I'm almost but I you know I I'm not as comfortable in that AD seat, but I get like almost nervous because I got I got fifty people. I need to keep their attention and direct them and get them to do what I want to do, but also have a good time. And I just have to shout out, dude, when we worked on Washington's Armor, you as an AD are just fantastic. Like the spirit that you bring to set, like you're just smiling and like having a good time and checking in with different departments and puts everybody at ease where I feel like a lot of times you can get in that stress level of like, we're not making our day, you know, uh, the director's mad, you know? So how do you balance all of that? I'm curious. Um, I think I've seen a podcast that you've done. Actually, you've talked about empathy on set, but how do you kind of, what's your mindset and your balance for, um, balancing being the boss and then also making sure that the experience overall is good for everyone. Yes. Thank you. First of all, thank you. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's a, it's a, that's a tough question, but I think, um, one way I look at it is at the, at the end of the day, one, one way I've learned to look at it overall when in doing all these different projects is at the end of the day, what we're doing is for fun. It's for entertainment. It's, I mean, we are, I, I tell people all the time who ask what I do for a living that aren't in the business, that my wife does all the work. I just go play for a living. Like I'm playing pretend for a living. That's what we do. We just play pretend. So even though I'm the stressful side and the logistical side of all those things, I do try to keep that mindset of like, at the end of the day, we're like, we're playing pretend like we used to as kids. Like we're making a movie, we're making a show for, and for most of the time entertainment. And with the high stresses of like, of making your day, lots of money at stake and time mm. and all those things like yes those are all on my brain and those all need are at the forefront and efficiency is is the is what i think about all the time and i'm number one on top of of like i don't want to lose any second throughout the day but just because i'm focused on efficiency and and the time and and, and how I, I i don't want to lose any seconds throughout the day i can still have fun with that and and it can still be i can find the moments that that i don't have to be as serious or don't have to be um you know, driving it home. And, and, and I also think, I mean, there's so many things I can talk about in this that I think work, but another one too, is if, if, if it is time to push the crew, if you're pushing them all day, we're, we're talking long days, 12 hour days, 14 hour days, every day. If you're constantly drilling people all day long, they, they're just not going to listen to you anymore. Like there's, you're just constantly on them and saying, guys, we got to go, we got to move or, or if you're constantly being a jerk or you're leading by fear, um, I've just learned to lead by respect of, of having relationships with people. So I try to, as much as I can in prep on every movie or show I do to learn everybody's names and, and not just their names, but their personal life, if they're married or if they're single or what their other goals are in life, what they want to do. Because if I have a personal relationship with them, then I can go, I know how to treat them. You know, uh, I'm also like, I've kind of done quite a bit of study on like the Enneagram test and, and like the Enneagrams and the numbers. And so it's like, and for me, that kind of helps just kind of when I meet somebody to kind of know, how I can handle them. Maybe this is somebody I need to be more soft with or, and, you know, and kind of make a joke half-heartedly about it. This is somebody I can just say, hey, go do that and shut your mouth and they're going to be fine with it. It doesn't offend them. You know, it's like, so I, I, it's learning people that way and then, and then, and then having a relationship with them. So they respect you so that when you've been going for 10 hours and it's been kind of a tough day or it's struggle, but now you're up against it and you really got to go. Now you kick your butt in the air and go, guys, we got to shoot. We got to go. We got to get this done. People are much more alive and respect you for going, you know, because I'm not doing that all day long. It's like once, and like specifically, if you're talking about the chosen, it's like once a week, like because 
we've been doing it for four years now. We kind of have the flow down. Dallas knows exactly what he wants. Akis knows what he wants. And everybody's got a kind of same flow. I don't have to do a lot of things that I would normally do on a film or something else on a new project. Whereas that, we, you know, it's like, it's like we're continuing, right? So it's like we're in season four, season five. We're just, it's like when we start back up, it's like we just took a break, you know, and we kind of have the flow and we start getting right back into it. So our day ones are not like a day one. We're on a different production where it's like, oh boy, nobody knows anybody's name, nobody knows what's going on. So it is very much that. So I do much less of it, even on The Chosen. I would say maximum once a week is where I really got to bust some heads and go, guys, we like, there's too much talking, there's people goofing off, like, let's get serious. And so when I do that, so little, then people actually respond and, and, and go, okay, Adam's right. We should listen. Let's do this. Let's focus. Let's get it done. Or let's, let's stop goofing around, you know? Um, so yeah, that's, that's a few pieces of, of, of kind of, of how I like to wrangle things on set. Guys, we just attended just a tip of the mastermind from Adam Drake's yes. psychology <clears throat> masterclass on AD work. Dude, I love all that. I, I just learned, I just took a lot from that. Yeah. Uh, and I appreciate that a lot. Are you still um, are you still teaching or doing master classes? Are you planning to do that in the future? I'm trying to give you a shout out right now. Yeah. You, I want to go take your class once you do it, even as a director, man. Uh, it's great. But are you still doing that or doing that in the future? Or? Uh, well, I did this like Aspire thing. It's called Aspire, and mm. they did, and I uh, we did like extensive interviews, and yeah, it was really good. But it hasn't. It never released. It mm. like started or it started to release, and then they had a problem. So I've shot the videos. They're out there somewhere. <laughs> but but they're not available for anybody. I'd love to. I actually thought about it just last week when I was doing another podcast. I was like, I need to get that information out there, even if it's for free, because there was just so many good things I said specifically about first ADing and handling people and stuff like that. Um, so no, there's not anything out there like right now. But um, I do I do have a, a a website now. It took me you know ten years to finally make and actually get a website up for myself. Related, and I'm putting a lot of that stuff on there. So like these podcasts I'll put on there and then eventually I do want to put the that Aspire information on there as well. So eventually it'll be available on my website is the goal and I want to kind of put that stuff out there. That's I also it. just started uh, actually last week. Um, I'm part-time teaching at my at Trebekah, Nazarene University, alma mater. So I'm, I'm, I'm uh, teaching class uh, classes there on ADing as well and kind of just film production in general. Just a part-time thing. Uh, um, and that I'm doing for my old college that I actually just started first class last week. So Dude, doing a little bit of that too. Congrats, man. That is, that's awesome. Yeah. We'll put the, uh, we'll put your website link in the podcast episode. So everybody can go check that out. And yeah, man, if you're in Dallas sometime, we gotta, we gotta talk and, uh, maybe we can help you out on that, uh, video series. Yeah. Cause that's, there's, you got a lot of knowledge to unpack, man, that I think would help. ADs and directors and filmmakers in general. Yeah, that I mean, that whole piece just on handling other people is a leadership quality that could be applied to any role on set. Um, and just totally. really, you know, handling people. And I, I've said it before, but people want to work with people they like. And you're going to have a lot more, um, you're going to have a lot easier time uh, having people's respect when you when you handle them like that. And so I just, I, I love that piece from you. Um, specifically as a DP myself, I know that my I have a very close relationship on set with the first AD because they're constantly trying to push the DP along as most of the time we're waiting on the DP and, and not other departments. It's not always, but most of the time we're waiting on the DP to get lights, you know, just right, build out if cameras. If you want to look good, it's going to take time. That's right. That's right. <laughs> and so I'm curious, you know, if you have any um, anything differently that you do 
with your DP in terms of just like building that relationship with them and working hand in hand with them. Because as a DP, I can relate to a first AD just constantly putting pressure on me and and it, it, it getting to one of those frustrating places where it's like, this is every time they like walk up to me, it's like stress. Uh, it, it's not the opposite. So is there anything that you do differently as a first AD or prioritize when you're building that relationship with the DP on set? Yeah, no, that's a, that's a great question. So first the relationship for sure. So the good thing is in the first three, four weeks, however much prep I have time for, I really try to not only spend a lot of time with the DP in prep, obviously working through shot lists or just prep stuff in general schedule. I like to really go heavily through the schedule with them too, because the DP can speak more into how long they're going to take for a setup than I can, especially if it's my first time working with them or new or different you know, it's a little different again on the chosen, like we kind of know our speed now. So I don't, I still work a lot with Akis, you know, in prep, but it's, you know, it's a little more Evan Plug has been doing it for several years now. But with a new DP, um, I, I spend that time with them going through the schedule so that it's not, I don't just throw a schedule at them, right? I'm like, I, I, I go, here's the schedule I think is best. Does this work for you? And I think a lot of ADs kind of just throw a schedule at a DP and just go, here you go. This is what we're doing. And I much more prefer to like work with them on it. For one, it helps the relationship in the long run. You're going to be working with them a lot in the next several weeks, and then and then and then for two, it, they it gets them thinking about time. It gets it gets a DP thinking about logistics logistics and things like that. And the best DPs I work with are good at that. The best DPs I work with are very good at paying attention to the time, and I don't have to constantly be nagging them because we've kind of gone through the schedule thoroughly. So I'll say that to start, and then also. In that time, I try to just get them know, get to know them personally. I mean, in prep, you are constantly working, and there's like always something to work on and try to. You're always behind. It, every production I've ever been on, it's like, oh, I wish we could push a week. I wish we could push one week. Like we're not gonna be ready in time. It just feels like that every time. So there's not a whole lot of free time. But what I like to do is when we're at the end of the day, is go out to dinner with the DP, spend time with him outside of that, or even while we're there, just asking questions about them personally. You know, again, the same thing I would handle other crew on set. But the more I know them personally, the more I'm. You know, I like people too, and I like to try to read people. And so the more I learn about them, the better I can read them. And then I kind of know, like in the situation of like on set, if I'm nagging too much, I can tell when he's frustrated with me, when he or she is frustrated because I know them a little bit better now. Instead of them saying, hey, I'm frustrated with you, I can just see it and sense it and I stop, you know, or because I've built a relationship with them. The next thing I do, the other thing is that I think a lot of ADs kind of miss the ball on is paying attention to how they work. Like, so once we start filming, like... Akis is the perfect example. Who's the DP of the chosen. I've been seeing him work for four, four or five years now. And I, I talked to Mitch, who's my second, second, who I'm also teaching a lot of times to first of like, so I can step away and he can run it and what to look for. And I've been doing it with Akis for so long that I don't ever ask him for estimates. I never, I almost never ask him how long you're going to be, what, when are you going to be ready? I can just watch and I can tell when he gets to that tweaking mode and I know he's within five minutes. Or I know that I'm, I'm, or when he starts setting up, I'm like, oh, this is easily 30 minutes. He needs more time. So I'm not going to bug him. I'm not going to say anything. I'm going to go make sure cast is ready. I'm going to go do this. I'm going to make sure props is ready. I'm going to check with all the other departments because I know he needs 30 minutes and I don't have to go, hey, 30 minutes. So I think, um, and of course, now I have a little bit of a cheat on that because I've been working with him for years, but I do the same thing on a new project when I start a new film is those first few days is I really try to focus on the DP and when they're lighting of when they're ready or when they're five minutes out or when they're 15 minutes out. Cause those are usually the estimates you need like a 15 or a five or a couple, or I'm ready. Like so many times I just watch that. So then I don't have to keep bugging them. I can just leave you alone. I know when you're five minutes out and, and, and then it's not. And then when I do ask you, it's not as much of a, I don't, 
have to ask it as a question anymore. I can just go, hey, you're about five minutes out, right? Yeah, 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 I'm five. So then it doesn't feel near as annoying or obnoxious because I'm like, instead of just saying, hey, how long are you? I go, hey, you're, you're about five minutes, right? Then it feels like, you know, it's kind of more ebb and flow. So good. I Man, I go back to that schedule thing at the very beginning. That's a great piece as well because I, I don't even know working, Joey and I do a lot of commercial work. And anytime I do have the luxury to like go over a schedule with you, and you get to dial it in a bit more because you'll he knows stuff that I don't know about lighting setups or pivots. You know, we we worked long enough that I think I know time estimates. But man, you nailed it, Adam. I think uh, I got to start implementing that as much as we can yeah. with DPS because it does make the day go so much better when they're thinking about the time that we kind of agreed to upon, uh, beforehand instead of here's the schedule I need you to execute. Cute this, bro. You know, and which you know sometimes that's the name of the game on yeah. some of these commercial shoots, but. Love that. Well, and it's such an important, like, even reminder, too, like, as a DP, we so often get caught up in the creative and how beautiful can we make this shot and how, you know, what kind of new techniques can we implement? And it's just a good reminder that time needs to be at the forefront. And, you know, it is. It is something that we think about constantly, but it's such a good reminder as a DP to make sure that you're keeping the schedule of the day and what's possible on the forefront. And then even too, and just the little nuances of how you say things as a first AD, like it does help the relationship when, you know, you change the language a little bit. Uh, it does strengthen that relationship. And uh, even as a first AD, when you start working on learning the expectations of time, like that is huge in building that relationship with the DP and first AD. So I love that, man. Yeah. And I, I think, I think to kind of correlate with that is like, you want the DP to think a little bit like an AD, right? As an AD, I want him to think a little bit like me. Think about time. Think about that. Yes. Well, give that back too. So as the AD, I try to think like a DP a lot of times. I try to think of like, okay, this is a, this is a bigger shot. Mm -hmm. He needs more time because this is, this is a long steady shot versus just the other one's handheld. Or, um, I know this is a much more dramatic scene. He's going to need some more time to light, you know, like just try like, the luxury I've had is I've been doing it for many years now and I, and, and, and I started out in camera. So I do know a lot about it already. So that's helpful on my end. But if you're an AD that doesn't, then learn it, like watch the DP work and try to learn their side of it too, because then you also have that language to, mm. you know, with them to go. Um, cause, cause I mean, not to like brag about being AD or anything, but I'm like, I can just be like, Hey, once that 4k set, you're good. Right. Yeah. You know? So it's like, like, just know the language so I can, it's easier for me to communicate with him too. I'm like, Hey, once that, you know, once the, once that the, the 12 buys over there, you're set, right. That's all you need. You know, if you know kind of what they're doing and, or kind of just speak their language, like they speak with grip and electric, I think it just flows better too. And then they don't have to be like, you know, Dude, things too. it's so good because we've talked, I've talked a lot about, you know, it really helps everyone uh, who is in camera to have edited before or to have done audio before because you understand the expectations of all of the roles. And as a camera operator, I can have a better understanding of what audio is going to need when I go and shoot this scene. I'm going to have a better idea of what G&E is going to need um, and all the different roles. And it's such a pro tip to even as a first AD, have an understanding of what all of the different roles on set are going to require to make sure that the production goes smoothly. And it's, you know, the first AD, even being in the logistical seat is not exempt to not having to learn the rules uh, to elevate the production to the next level. So I love that, man. 
Yeah, I'll throw one more of those other things. So like, use that for other departments too. So for instance, like if the DP, like specifically if the DP is overwhelmed and the DP, because the DP has a lot of responsibilities too. He's also managing a department besides lighting the film and doing the best. He's also managing not just his department, but also grip and electric and others. So a lot of times the DP can get overwhelmed. And if I feel the DP is getting overwhelmed, well, if I have a relationship with the grip or the gaffer, I can go to them and I go, hey, how many, how much do you, how many things do you have to do? How many lights are you throwing up in this scene? What all do you have to do before you're even ready to present it to the DP to be ready? You know, so so a lot of times I can check in with them as well or the key grip and go, how much mm. how much you bring it in here? Or, you know, so so it helps to know their language too and be able to communicate with them if it just doesn't feel like a good time for the DP or the DP's tied up with the director and they're trying to work something out, you know. That helps too. I used you actually as an example. I was giving feedback to an AD I had on a set, and I was like, "Hey, so I'm gonna, uh, you know, they they asked for feedback, you know, and it was a it was a newer AD uh, role on a commercial set, and I was like, man, one of the things that I love the most that I saw uh, Adam Drake do on Washington's Armor is, you know, yeah, you can do the check ins, the loud check ins, but go to each individual department and speak to them personally, right? And and find out like, mm-hmm. hey, you need five minutes? Oh, you need ten minutes? And the, and then come back and tally to be the director. And, and you, you, I don't need to know at all. I just need to know that overall time. And so you nailed it by talking about like being able to speak their language, knowing what they need to do, and then like those check ins individually. I think that's what made my experience so great with you two on set. I was greener on uh, Washington's armor for sure on the feature film world. And I was in camera department and you were great because you would just kind of come in and check in with us. And, uh, you know, I was a AC uh, gimbal op on that. And I was, I was, you were still checking in with me, man. So it was great. You had that kind of communal feel with the departments um, and you knew how to kind of manage all of us individually, but then as a unit together. Um, and, and dude, it makes a huge difference in the attitude I feel like on set. 100%. Instead of, for example, in contrast, I worked on a Warner Brothers, uh, set. I was just a, uh, low, lowly, uh, PA doing lockdowns, but, um, the AD on that set, like tore into us and yeah. uh, I've shared this experience a couple of times, but it was a totally different environment on set, you know? And yeah, do we deserve it? Sure. Um, we were all very <laughs> green on it, but. And he's from L.A. and we're from Texas, you know, so that was the whole thing. But it was like yeah. nobody really wanted to do the work after that after that day, you yeah. know, and it's like, all right, show back up, do another 18-hour day tomorrow with one break. And, you know, and mm-hmm. so environment is everything and being able to speak the lang- language of each department. Uh, and then like with empathy, I feel like it goes it's a huge. long way in the final product, man, because it, it, every department affects the final outcome of a film. Absolutely, man. Well, I want to transition a little bit. Um, you are working on a project that has a lot of weight to it. Um, this is a very, very, you know, serious story that you're telling to get historically accurate. And, you know, at the end of the day, like you're working to make an impact in the lives of the people that watch this thing. Talk to me about some of the challenges that you feel like you have had to deal with in making a production um, with a story of this magnitude and how you kind of overcame some of those challenges? Yeah, I think um, I would say a lot of that, the good the good and bad thing about that question is I, I feel like a lot of that weight doesn't land on me. It definitely more lands on Dallas and it more lands on, on people that are more in that creative position. Um, but then it's my job to as we're talking about kind of set the tone and set the environment for mm. that to be successful. So like, yes, we go through a lot of emotional scenes and um, 
season season six is going to be extremely difficult. Um, and, and and so I think the things that I have to um, factor in is um, is time. It does need like a, a very heavy scene does need more time. It needs it needs more time for the actors just to get in the moment. It needs more time for Dallas to think about it, to give direction, things like that. And so and then the environment, the set has to be quiet and it has to just be it can't be like a normal day. Everybody's kicking and hanging out. It's got to be very respectful and reverent. And so um, and where I would say on this show specifically, the good the good thing about the question is it is a challenge on this show specifically. And the hard part, honestly, is because we have so many people. So there's so like you were talking uh, earlier about, you know, 50 background or people to manage. Our average day is 50 background. And and I think they, they did the average numbers for this past season. And the average background was over 50. And the average cast was over 13. Wow. So we're talking 15 to 20 people that are speaking roles every day hmm. on top of 50 background. That's just people. And that's a lot of people to like who are there for 12 hours and try to keep, especially when we're doing a scene that's all day quiet to try to keep all those people quiet and focused for 12 hours yeah. is extremely difficult. And even for myself, you know, I get carried away and, and like get to talking or not thinking. And, and so it's, it's um, I would say that's the biggest challenge of this show for sure is there's so many people. Mm. And then on top of that, you have like 10 of those cast members that are, well, they're, they're actors, right? So they're not used to just hanging out on set all the time. They hang out in the trailer, but they got to be there because they might have one line or, they're right off camera or they're standing in the background because there's so many people, they're not all talking right the whole time. So you have five of the main characters standing in the background and they got to stand there all day because they're in the scene all day and they're not getting talked. They're not getting to do their job. They're just like almost like background, which they don't like. So it's just, so people just start getting, you know, silly and funny and, and anxious and things like that because it's just like you are filming a hard, difficult scene and there's so many people that um, have to be there but aren't, you know what I mean? Aren't, aren't having to be so in it. And so it's, it's hard to, it, it, that is the challenge of the show of keeping it reverent and respectful for the people that do have to be in it, that are in that scene that are heavy in that scene when you're involved, but you're not that involved, you know? I love that, man. Um, when, when you get a project like the chosen or, or even any project for that matter, there's a lot of prep that you have to do before production ever takes off. I'm curious to know what your prep process looks like when you're trying to get into learning the script and learning the vision of the project and the direction of the production. What is, how do you prepare when you get a new script or even a new season for that matter uh, for other first ADs who are trying to you know, get into the mind of the director and the production? How do you prepare for a project? Yeah, I don't. I don't think it's anything um, special. Uh, you know, I think it's 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 just the prep, putting in the work and putting the prep. So the first thing I do, for instance, when I get the chosen scripts, is a lot of people do ask me if I read them and then break them down, and I actually don't, just because for me, I thought that would help. I tried it once, and it just didn't work because my brain just kept going to breakdown when I read it the first time. So it actually helps me to, without pre-reading it, I break it down as I'm reading it. So as I'm learning the story and it's entertaining to me too, right? Cause the chosen is really good and I enjoy it just as anybody else does. So it is kind of a slow process of me like slowly getting the story, which is kind of fun too, but, uh, but cause I'm breaking it down, you know, scene by scene, page by page and, and props and actors and all that stuff. So for me, it helps me to break it down um, the first time I read it and go through it in detail. Then I go back and read it again, just to read it. And, um, 
but, uh, and then I'm going, and then I'm constantly adjusting the schedule, changing it, especially with the chosen. There's so it's such a long stretch. We're talking 70 to 80 days and we're cross-boarding all eight episodes. And so you're just, there's constantly things that are moving and changing up until we shoot. Like it just happens because so many actors, you're talking 150 actors, you have to maintain their schedule and you're talking, you know, all the different things of being in Texas versus Utah and what's at what location and different sets and all that. So it's constantly a rotating, moving schedule. So I have to know the schedule extremely well. I end up learning it because I'm constantly moving it. So I know it well because I'm moving scene by scene all the time, constantly for weeks until we start. So I know it really well. So the best way I say to prep is I just the, to know it as well as anybody else knows it. I need to know that script as well or better than the director and the DP. Like when we're shooting a scene, I need to know every detail of the scene, even if it doesn't necessarily relate to schedule, the props they're using, what the content of the scene is. So for me, I feel prepared if I know the scene as well as Dallas. If I, which, I mean, it's kind of challenging because he writes it and directs it too. So he like knows the ins and outs of it. But I try to know it extremely well to where it's like, I could even be like, hey, what about that prop you need? Like, that's not here. You know, didn't he cuts the thing with a knife and uh, he doesn't have a knife. Do we need that? Or did you cut that? You know, it's like just knowing that without having to look at your call sheet or your schedule or anything like that is um, I would say just knowing it and doing the, it, it's just a, it's not anything creative. Just get the work done and do extra prep, extra work. So you know the schedule extremely well, but, and you have to know the schedule better than anybody else. Cause you're constantly going to be changing it as a first for any show or any movie. And then to know that script um, as well as the director, if not better, so that when, because if you know the script really well, then you can also solve schedule problems, right? So if you know the script in and out, all the different things, it may be not a whole scene that you can move, but it might be like, oh, well, we just got hit by a storm. We only have an hour left in the day, so we can't finish that scene. But what we could do, since we're in the same space, there's four-eighths of a scene or half of a scene over here in this corner that's already practically ready. We could do that and get something else accomplished today. And it jacks up the schedule, messes everything up. But if you, you can only make a call like that in the moment, if you know the schedule and the script extremely well, because if you don't, then you, you you know, the storm comes, you're like, well, we can't shoot anything else. I don't know what else we can shoot. We're kind of done for the day. Then you go home and kind of look over your stuff. And you're like, oh, we could have done that, you know, but if you know it, then that's, that's what's so great about a, an AD that can make adaptions and moves and calls right there on set in the moment, which happens all the time because of weather, actors, anything that can go wrong will go wrong. And, uh, and you can just change it and go, oh, let's do that. And you can solve the problem right then instead of later. Dude, that's such a good pro tip once again. You said something earlier on, even just about uh, reminding a director about a prop. And one of the things that I tell my guys all the time is that you become the most valuable to me when you can anticipate my need. And so the proactive people on set who are thinking about the problem before the problem exists or thinking of ways to alleviate stress from some of your keys are the most valuable players that you can have in a production. And I love that even just thinking about the little props, the schedule tweaks, the pivots and all of that, that happen, especially on a narrative production. That's so key, man. Um, as an AD, you've obviously done a ton in the field. What are some common mistakes you feel like you see newer first ADs make or that you have made early on that you can spare somebody else who's climbing up in this field? Uh, yeah, unfortunately, I don't get to see a lot of other first work or like <laughs> that. So most most of, the, most of the, the situations I would see would be somebody that's under me or like a second AD make a mistake or a second second or a 
or a PA or PSAT PA or any of those positions kind of see um, more of those mistakes versus a first. Um, I, I mean, I, I don't know that I have anything outside of kind of what we've talked about. It would, you know, it would just be, you know, one of the that one of the biggest ones I've seen when I have seen it is is drilling the DP. It's as an AD just constantly drilling the DP. What are we waiting on? How long? What are we doing? When it's like so many times, like like especially uh, there was one instance where I was helping a first, where I was teaching somebody to first. I think it might have been my set, and I was teaching them, and and uh, and just constantly, what are we waiting on? What what are we, what are we waiting on? And I'm like, just use your eyeballs. Just look. What do you, like what do you see? What's waiting on? Like instead of nagging them about it, like you can see, mm-hmm. and then like I like I talked about earlier, and then you can communicate. Hey, are you only waiting on that, and then you're ready? You know, is it just that 4K coming in or is it just the 12 by? Is it just this and then you're ready? Or do you need to add a fill light, a key light? Again, it helps if you know their language. Like, like, um, and you kind of pay attention. I feel like so many ADs miss the paying attention to what the DP is doing. Because, which I get it. First AD's got a lot going on and you're paying attention to all departments. But I feel like one that's missed a lot is because they're so reliant on the DP. Because the DP usually is somebody that's very talented and is knows what they're doing and running an apartment that they can just ask them the question when they're ready and they're solving everything else. But I think where you can really get ahead as an AD is is being a teammate with a DP and go and seeing and watching them. Mm. And um, I, I, yeah, I feel like that's probably one of the biggest ones I see missed that I've seen the mistakes of. And then and then the other one would be like you said, uh, you said, um, uh, Joe, you said earlier that if you can anticipate my problem before it happens, that 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 comes from the ground up, right? That starts with PAs too. The best PAs that are my favorite mm. that I hire back and end up moving up the ladder to be an AD for me are the ones that are solving problems before they get there. The ones that are looking ahead constantly. Like, so that that's obviously the biggest mistake I see too, is is not doing that. From a first AD all the way down to a PA, I see that, I see I do see that mistake the most of so just not looking ahead and just not anticipating. So that, that's, that's, that moves up extremely well from the bottom up. If you're a first AD that can really um, look ahead and solve a problem before it happens, then you're, you know, you're doing a great, great thing. You're, you're solving problems. <laughs> Can't agree more. I give that feedback all the time to, you know, PAs in turn. Any any position on set, proactiveness, like help problem solve before the problem even is brought to, you know, the department head's position. Uh, and, and, and then you want to have them back every right. single time. Then like, you that's realize how, you can't work without them. That's your, yeah, yeah. You're super hireable yeah, exactly. then. You know, you're taking care of the problems yeah. and – yeah, mm-hmm. absolutely. Proactiveness. So good, man. Well, for those that want to follow in your footsteps that are looking to climb the first AD ladder, what advice would you have for them to kind of move into that role and, and excel there? Well, first of all, I don't I, Who are those people? Where are they? I'm, <laughs> <never seen that. laughs> uh, uh, I'm just kidding. Um, You've inspired well, people sure. on this episode, Adam. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's, that is one thing that, uh, is, is nice because of the environment I've created, like kind of the, the environment. And it's not just me again, it's, I've created a team that has created an environment that people love to be around. There's been so many people, especially on the chosen, cause we get interns and we get people who were just kind of thrown into the set PA position and wanted to do something else and end up wanting to be an assistant director now, because like we've created an environment they love so much. Like, man, I really like this and like solving problems and like working together and, so there has been a lot of people that kind of have branched over um, into like, I want to be an AD now after they got on set as a PA. Um, but I, w- I would say people that are inspiring to do it, just I, the same path I took, pay attention. So like if if you are, you know, a lot of people can't be stand-ins probably or aren't pursuing that necessarily. But if you are, if you have the chance to stand in, do it and learn by just watching. 
Um, another place is as a PA and, and work for bad ADs or good ADs. Either way, you can still learn. You can see what a bad AD does wrong and how they don't do these things that we've kind of talked about and applied or the things they do wrong and take notes and learn yourself so as a PA. But I would say, um, but what I tell people all the time is now networking is number one. Like, so if you're not connected in the business, then network and meet people and that'll get you in. And then you get your foot in the door, most likely as a PA and, and then just pay attention, learn and listen and try to apply some of these things we've talked about and just, um, and reach out to people. I mean, I don't, I've never turned anybody away. I get hit up all the time on Instagram and Facebook and, and, and emails of like, I want to be on set. How do I get on set? And I, and I, I don't ever ignore people. I try to send them something or connect them some way or, you know, that sort of thing. Like, so reach out to people too. reach out to people that are working in the business and, uh, and look for work. And then once you get there, prove yourself that you can do it and solve problems and, and be pro uh, proactive, man, this, the stand in thing is something I meant to even bring up, but that's such a good tip as well. When I was first getting into the narrative space, uh, even as a PA, it is overwhelming when you have never been on a production of that scale and mm -hmm. you don't know all of what you don't know. And you're overwhelmed by all of these experts who, who are doing this one thing better than you've ever seen it done. And you're wondering how, you know, am I ever going to excel in this field? And one of the like being a stand-in and just getting the ability to absorb that information and to learn while literally just standing there learning. You're getting paid to learn, especially when you're in that position, is such a great way to get comfortable in the narrative space and and, and to break into the field. And and I love that I love that and I wanted to come back to that. I have to jump on that too. Uh I think for camera department. BTS. Oh my god. Set BTS. So we got yes. a story, you know, with Joey. Like we had him out on Washington's Armor. That's how you guys first met. Yep. I had Joey out there as BTS on Washington's Armor. And we're all looking at his footage. You know, he networked with every networking, connecting, becoming, yep. you yep. know, unreplaceable. And then, you know, later on, he's DP finishing out the the full project. And BTS, when I've done it before, it's so fun because you get to like you you know you have zero rules There's really you no have no department pressure. to report to and yeah. you're kind of going around and and you're observing and recording everybody's role yeah and it's really interesting uh, it's a really great spot but I had never heard about the I never considered the stand-in thing man that's awesome that's even better you just you get to be in the action the entire time yep right yeah. there with the director ad you know actors uh, that's fantastic yeah so, I, so I gotta I start think, looking for some stand-in jobs yeah there you go. Yeah, I think it comes down to no matter what position you're in, like right, like BTS or whatever is is pay attention, learn, and and like so whether you want to be an AD or you want to be a DP, I'm sure as BTS you were closely locked watching the DP. Absolutely. And I know on the, the part I did, it was a DP who had been doing it for 30, 40 years, and I mean he's been DP forever. So there's so much you can take from somebody like that. No matter how talented they are, somebody's been doing it for that long, you can learn things. And so and same for the AD. I when I was sitting there as a stand-in, that AD was had been doing it for years and was just, it was just like a flow. It's just like, man, this guy is like doing everything. I'm like, interesting. And so I think no matter what position you're in, pay attention, listen and network and meet people and like get connected and then just pay attention, especially to the role that you're interested in and watch somebody work and ask questions. I get, I get people all the time on, especially on the chosen that ask me questions all the time. How do you, how do you do this? Or why do you do it that way? Why do you handle it? And I'm like, I'm totally fine to answer this. Now, not everybody's that way. 
But what's the worst thing to say? No, I don't want to talk about it. But <laughs> you know, ask ask those department heads, those people you're interested in their job. Ask them, ask them questions. Be a student, you know? Espe- especially a student. in camera department. Uh, at least, mo- and, and again, it's not everybody, but a lot of people in camera department are have worked really hard to learn what they've learned and they're excited to share it with other people and so i rarely i rarely meet anyone in the camera field who isn't excited to flex what they know and how they know how to do it and they you know give you those the secret sauce to their game and so yeah definitely ask questions on set because most people who are in a key role if they have the time love to talk about what they know yeah, and specifically camera, it's like I think a lot of people. It seems like, in my experience, a lot of like young interns or people new in the camera department are scared to ask questions because the camera department is intimidating and they do know so much and they can kind of be like standoffish. But man, but every time I've seen it, them ask questions, man, they learn so much. Like for instance, uh, the Akis, the DP of the Chosen, has a very like don't approach him, don't bother him, don't bug him. Like very much like if you're a PA coming on set, you're like I'm not talking to that guy. He's just intense, and he because he is. He's always focused. He's always doing his thing. But every single time, because we we started doing interns on the chosen now, and interns will come up and ask him questions. The ones that are brave enough, which is or or we encourage him to. And he's so nice about it. He's so sweet about like giving them information, telling them why he's lying this way, why he's doing this way. And it's like, whereas he totally gives that vibe of like, don't talk to me, don't touch me. So yeah, I want to encourage <laughs> people to ask questions because crew will probably give you that sense just by not speaking to him. But most of the time. Any crew member, especially camera, is going to be like, oh, let, yeah, let me show you what I know. Here's why I do it, and here's what I know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And there is a time and a place, you know, when you are behind and, and whatnot, and the DP is stressed and whatnot, obviously right. don't go up to him. But especially <laughs> yeah. if you can catch, you know, him during like the early part of prep when they're doing something, or really like during lunch, like lunches are a great way to just pull up a chair next to someone and just be like, dude, why did you do that during the scene? So, um, man, I'm, I'm curious. Yeah. I've, I've seen some really incredible BTS from The Chosen. You guys had that one scene where you had this entire blue screen studio and you filled a tank with water and did Jesus stepping out on, on the, the waves and whatnot. And then you also, I think there was a sandstorm scene, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. I'm curious what the most memorable scene has been during your time at The Chosen. Ooh, yeah, that's hard. Um, there's so many. Uh, or maybe what your favorite off. one was. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's a challenge because I have different ones, different uh, favorites for different reasons, you know? So, I mean, the walking on water was incredible because we'd never done anything like that. We're just working in a tank, all night shoots, three, night, three or four nights in a row, you know, because it's outside. So we have to do it at night. Um, big giant blue screen. So it was just a it was, we'd never done anything that big of production style. So it just felt huge and big. And it was, so that was a cool experience. And then the feeding of the 5,000, nobody's ever done anything like that before. We're in the middle of COVID with over 10,000 people. And, uh, it, it, so that was wild and a good time. And all, and what's so cool about that. And what's so cool about the show in general is the fans that come out are just so grateful to be there, even though they're dying of heat exhaustion or they're, and they're paying to be there and they're probably, it's killing their budget just to come be a part of it. And they're just sitting there. They're just so grateful to be it. And they love it. And they're like, oh, thank you for what you do and all that. And it's just incredible. Same was Sermon on the Mount was the opposite. It was like freezing cold temperatures and they're all dying of being freezing cold because they're in skirts and sandals. And I've got them coming up to me at the end of the day, just going, thank you for allowing us to be here. It was such a good time. It's one of the best days of my life. And I'm like, what's wrong with you? I'm, I'm, I've got six layers on and I'm going to go home. I'm freezing to death. Like I'm, <laughs> I'm annoyed. And, uh, 
And uh, so, so moments like that, and and I, I would say that's probably one my favorite thing about being a part of the show is that is that I don't ever get thanked for first ading like I did a Mel Gibson movie. Like nobody said thank you for that. If I if I went and first did the next Marvel movie, nobody says Adam, thank you for being a part of that production and being the first AD and solving those problems. <laughs> like, no, nobody does that. But I get it all the time on The Chosen. I get messages on Instagram and Facebook and people in the see me in person of, thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for what you do. And people that know me are like, thank you. I know that you have a family at home. So thank you for sacrificing your time to make this show happen. And I'm just like, whoa, thank you. Like, wow. Like people see me as the as a crew member, as a first AD, um, being a part of Chosen, which I would never get on any other show or movie. So that's really cool. Man, That's on great. on the note of gratitude, uh, as as crew on set, it is such a good reminder to thank those who are you you are working with because it is you know a lot of times there is a lot more sacrifice made than just them working for a paycheck, and so it's always a good reminder, especially as keys to thank the departments that you have under you and the other departments that you're working with that are most of the time hurrying to make sure that you're successful. And so that's a really great reminder. And just on that note, we want to thank you so much, man, for your time on this episode, bro. You have dropped a ton of really, really good value. This is one of my favorite episodes that I've done in a while. And I'm really just thankful for your time and expertise and wisdom pouring in, man. Before we get you out of here, I got to know, you know, what is next for the Drakenator and uh, what are some <laughs> some goals and plans? I don't know if anybody actually calls me Drakenator, but you know what? I'll, I'll Well, it's the IG <laughs> handle, man. I'm going to I'm going to already <laughs> give him the plug before we get him out of here, but yeah, it's, follow and, him the Drakenator. I actually made it the website too. I just didn't know. Yes. yeah, I love it. <laughs> oh, heck yeah. We'll share both of those links. I, that's great. And I, and I gotta say, you're probably the only person who's calling me Drake. <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> I, you know, I, I'm, I'm trying to force it in. I'm trying to it's, force it's, it's catching it's on. It's catching, bro. Yeah. This is the way. Helping you start the this fire. This is the way. Yeah. 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 Um, so yeah, what's next? So, I, um, I, yeah, I just finished, we just finished season four of the chosen about a month ago. Um, uh, I, I just got called about a, uh, a show yesterday that's shooting in Salt Lake. I might or might not do. I don't know. There's another movie, this a Christmas movie that would shoot this winter that I might or might not do. I don't know. So I'm kind of on the fence on, on projects right now. The Chosen will probably start up again next uh, March or April. Um, so so yeah. Anyways, I'm just at home doing home projects and and uh, and and started doing the the teaching thing a little bit, which is fun. Uh, which I'll. They, they're super accommodating so i can actually do that while i'm on film set too so it's going to be very much like i don't have to be here for it um so I'm, so i'm teaching students to try and teach young young filmmakers too because that's also a passion of mine is mentoring people and and doing things like this and bringing up the next generation into the business so um doing a lot of that um but uh, yeah i'm not I'm not necessarily committed to anything actually for the next project right now i yeah that's, that's about it that's great, man. I got to, before we jump into our, we always have five questions we ask every guest. And uh, before we get okay. to that, I got to ask this question. So, you know, as a, you're a full-time freelancer, but I know you and I, I remember talking way back when we were on Washington's Armor, we talked about our production companies and commercial work and, you know, doing that, but then also pursuing the narrative and, you know, is, is there still a, is there still a balance that you seek? Are you pretty much all narrative now? Or if you do, you know, kind of production company work projects, like how do you balance that? Because I even, I remember from Washington's Armor and other things, I was like, well, if I'm going to be gone 20, you know, 21 days or 14 days, 
how do I balance the commercial or corporate work? And so people out there that maybe have a production company but want to get more into narrative, like was there any hard decisions you had had to make or or was it kind of the natural flow for you to just go to narrative? Where are you kind of in that process? Yeah, for sure. Um, very. That's a good, great question too. I, yeah, very strong on the narrative side for sure now, um, especially since the chosen started. So because mm. features, I could kind of float back and forth because you know it was like six to eight weeks for a feature, and then it wasn't. I was gone a little too long, but I could come back and people would still call and I'd still kind of get some local work uh, on commercials and music videos and that sort of thing, or more corporate. Um, and then when I started doing the chosen, it really kind of pushed away, pushed back because then I'm gone for six months out of the year. So um, there's definitely um, in the last two, like in the last two years, I don't do near as much, uh, music videos, commercials, corporate, just because so many people here in Nashville, I'm, I'm based in Nashville. It, it, it just assume I'm gone. So they just mm. always assume like, I can't get out of him. He's gone. So I, which again, another thing you can do that people should do is do it. I always just check in with those people. So I check in with producers and production companies. Like, Hey, I'm back in Nashville. If you need anything, just let me know. But, um, um, but last season to this season, I only did like maybe one or two commercials and music videos total. And I've done it since I've been home this time. And uh, so, yeah, it's very much um, all narrative. And I would say to answer that too, that um, it is extremely hard to, to balance both. Mm. I, you, I feel like you kind of do have to pick one or the other. And, and maybe you don't have to. It depends on your situation where you're at and you can balance both. I did balance both for several years. But then again, once I started committing to the chosen, so more long form, it was harder to do both. So you, you might be able to manage movies and that, but a show just takes so long um, that you may not to. And for me, to answer that last question, I fell, I fell into the show thing. I never wanted to do a series. I was always like, I'll never do a series. I hate series because it feels like a nine to five job. It's going to be like the same thing every day. And, and it's so long, especially if it's out of town. Of course, then the chosen came along and it's been a different animal. It kind of started small and then it kept growing. So it's like, so obviously the chosen is different and feels like a calling and where I'm supposed to be and that sort of thing. But other than that, I would probably not ever do a series because I do have five kids at home and I don't like being gone that long. And it's just, it's too much. And I really enjoy doing features. Um, so the chosen is probably one of the only shows that I'll ever commit to. Well, I'm saying that who knows what, <laughs> but in general, I don't, I don't, I, I try to stay away from series for sure. Yeah. That's great. Transparent insight, man. And that's something that I've like, I've just always wondered, you know, how to balance those. And I think that's great insight and you kind of have to figure it out, you know, where you are in life and family, man, family's a huge thing too, right? Like I just had my first kid uh, 14 months ago and now I've got another one coming and that totally changed the whole thing for me too. So all of that you got to weigh into consideration, man. But yeah, thanks for that advice. For That's sure. great. And, and does your family typically like fly in for some of the productions and stay like extensive time? Cause I think that would be an interesting thing. Like, you know, or do you fly back and visit them? Like, you know, I, I think you get to see your family more than once every six months. And so how is that family dynamic, you know, while you're during a, a stint yeah, of production? A lot like, yeah. I, th I think a lot like my career as an AD and I, it has to be very adaptable. So there's been seasons of like me flying home a lot. And then there's been seasons of them coming out a lot. So for instance, just to do the chosen chosen season three. So we just finished season four last year, season three, um, my family just, they weren't as busy. They didn't have a lot going on as much. And so they came out to Texas probably 10 times, which is about a 10 or 11 hour drive. And of course I have a beast and a, and a saint of a wife who I would say most wives aren't as incredible as her. So, but of course I'm biased. 
Um, but anyway, <laughs> she drove out to Texas with all five kids at least 10 times. And that's a 10 or 11 hour drive. And she'd do it in one day. And so she was like total beast mode. And she'd come out <sighs> and they'd stay for like a week or two. And then she'd go back of just like when they had a nice break and they'd stay for a week or maybe two. And I just had an Airbnb the whole time that could house us all. It was a mm. nice house and had a pool. So the kids had something to do while I'm working all day. Um, and so I did that last, like season three and then, and season three, we went to Utah for only like a week. So we just didn't deal with Utah at all. Season four was about that. We just finished was split almost down the middle. It was like half Texas, half Utah. And so this time when I was in Texas, they were really busy. They had a lot going on. Kids are committed to a lot of different things and sports and stuff. And so they only came out for like one week during uh, their break. And then I just flew home probably six times. Like I just flew home, even if it was for a 48 hour weekend, I'd fly home Friday afternoon and then fly back Sunday afternoon. And so even though that's tough and uh, that's part of it though, if you're part of the, in, in this business, it's like, you kind of have to accept that challenge. If you want to do family and film, it's, 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 it's an incredibly hard challenge. And so I just committed to flying back a lot and I only get to short for a short time, but it was totally worth it. It was like a nice reset for me um and for them and so it's like not and so we try to never do more than two weeks and then uh, when we finished texas they just hit summer break and it was a nice break for them and they came out to utah with me we did a road trip and did an rv and like well all went out there together and we're out there for like five weeks together and then oh, by the time awesome. they left went home i only had like a week or two left and then came home so so every season's been different and every movie has been different um we just what i what we do as a family is my wife and I sit down and make a plan before I take the film. Like, so the great thing is now that my career is established and I can be picky about what I want to do and what I don't want to do is I can sit down and go and talk with her when I've been offered a film, offered a production. And I go, okay, what do we want out of this? What do you want? What does my wife want? And like, how do we want to make sure this, okay, does it work? Okay. Now I present it to the production and go, yes, I'll come do your movie, but I need this, this, and this laid out for my schedule for my family. And, um, uh, yeah, so it's, it's been it's 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 been great, but that's kind of how we balance it. That's awesome, transparent advice, man. I know a lot of times there's a struggle with the work life balance component and having a family or just even a you know a spouse uh, and and juggling all that. So we appreciate the transparent insight, man. Pro tips, pro tips, right there. I Seriously. like that pre agreement uh, yeah, discussion. Dude. Love it's that. Huge. Yeah. yeah, and it's just Fantastic. nice to see how other people. That's make something it you learn work. after 15 years of marriage. You know. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. For myself. I go, hey, what should we do? What do you think? <laughs> yeah. Very great. I tip. love it, man. I love it. Well, we got five questions we got to ask before we get you out of here, man. My first question for you is if you could go back and do it all differently in your career, what is one thing that you would change and do different? I'd be a cinematographer. <laughs> so tell me about it, man. Tell me about it. <laughs> Why? No, what's funny is like, well, I started out in camera and then kind of fell into, I told you, just fell into the AD thing. But I am a visual person. I love that side of it. So I don't know. I, I, not that. So it's not necessarily a regret, but I would like to, like, almost in another life, see what that was like to be a DP. Like, part of me was like, man, it'd be fun to, like, I think it's too late in the game now and I don't want to mess with it. But I think it would have been cool to just see that different path of, like, what it would have been like if I pursued uh, cinematography instead of, instead of this. That's awesome, man. Well, you, you even alluded a little bit earlier on that you, you, kind of want to direct some stuff now if i'm not mistaken are you still pursuing like the directing stuff on the side of what you're doing now yes yeah yep cool yeah, well sure. we're excited so, uh, to see yeah, definitely yeah. still want to make yeah, i still want to make my own content and do that um yeah so definitely still pursuing that 
Well, I'm excited to see the next directed Adam Drakenator movie uh, when it comes out. <laughs> um, man, it's man, pickup. Yeah, it's, uh, right, right. Yeah, we're going to all pickup. get back together for the basketball series. Yeah. Yep. That'd be fun. What is one thing that excites you about the current film industry or market? Oh, I would say the chosen phenomenon. So mm. the, the what the chosen is doing, I think, is going to relaunch great Christian content of like films of great biblical films that are like big budget, like they used to do back in the day, like some like a big budget Samson taking out mm -hmm. hundreds of people, like like three hundred style, like mm. um, or 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 you know some or Esther, and you know just bringing back some of those nice biblical stories that are going to be done and told the right way and also told like from a great perspective and then like with money so that it can actually be done well. So I, I think that uh, I'm excited that I think the chosen is going to launch a new era of that. I hope. Yeah. I love agree. that, man. What is one piece of advice that you can give to filmmakers trying to grow in their craft or their business? Yeah. I, my top dog is I've said it already, but networking, I think, mm. you know, e even if you're doing your own business, cause I used to do a lot of that stuff too. Even if you're doing your own business and your own kind of corporate stuff like that, man, just networking, meeting other like-minded people that can help you or encourage you or even mentor you. So, um, yeah, I would say, I would say networking and then in that networking, find somebody that can be somewhat of a mentor to you too. And somebody that is established, that's good at what they do or good at what you're aspiring to do and ask questions. Mm. Love it, man. Okay. Love that it. was, that was like five things of advice. I guess it was supposed to be one, right? <laughs> <laughs> no, that's, that's good. good. We'll take them all. We'll yep. take them all. We'll t buy one, get one free. Um, yeah. where, where are we as an industry headed in filmmaking and what should we be focusing on? Oh, man, that's tough. Where? Yeah, man, I don't, I don't know, man, ask me that again. So where, like, what are some things that are changing in the industry right now that you feel like a, a shift in the market, um, where you feel like, you know, the narrative world is going with, you know, with regard to, yeah. you know, LED walls are huge right now in the cinematography space and really evolving. The streaming is changing a lot and just how movies are, you know, funded and and distributed. And there's a lot of change going yeah. on. I mean, the writer strike, like, what do you think that with all the change going on in the market right now, we should be focused on? Yeah, I mean, yeah, it is a, it is a trying time and we're all on a strike right now and everybody's looking for work. But um, yeah, I think... I think where I hope that it goes is that with like with the whole streaming thing and then kind of the streaming seems to be like dying out a little more, not as crazy that it's like that people get back to the movies. Like I think the movie experience and the theater experience is such a like I personally love it, too, of just like getting excited about a new film that's good and going to see it in theaters. And so um, I, I, that's what I'd like to see come back, you know, and what I, like even classics like Jurassic Park I saw was shown at my theater the other day of like going back and paying five bucks to go see an older film, a classic in the theaters. Like um, I would love to see that come back in the industry and I feel like it can, um, but, uh, but, but maybe that's coming. And then, yeah, with uh, AI and, and the strikes and, and streaming and all that stuff. Um, it, I think it's kind of hard to see what direction we're going, but I think, um, uh, you know, I think the movie business will adapt. It is still pretty young business, you know, pretty young, thing compared to like music and other things you know the film world is still young and learning i think it actually hasn't been around that long and so um uh i don't know i'm i'm, I'm interested to see where it goes and um 
I think that uh, I, I think what's crazy is that I think the chosen is kind of the forefront of that because they have done things so differently besides, besides the fact of, of, of being Christian content, but also making itself available for free and, and, and streaming that way, but, and, and doing a, a, a series releasing in theaters. And there's so many things they're doing differently. I think it's kind of showing the secular world too, of like, it doesn't have to be the way you guys have always done it for this many years. Like it can change. It can be adaptable. Mm. So I do think it's changing. I don't, I don't know uh, which direction, but I, I think it is ever, I think it's going through a big change right now for sure. It's cool, man. Well, I hope that we all get back to the movie theaters because I love the experience of going to the movies. Yeah. And I do feel like more people are starting to do that again. And so I hope that you are right in that regard. Um, my last question for you, man, who is one filmmaker that you admire and why? Hmm. Well, my favorite, my favorite director is Christopher Nolan. And, um, I think, I think a big reason why I love his work is because it's something I could never do. Like he's so like, um, for the films that I'll direct, it'll probably be more like Michael Bay. I'll just blow a bunch of stuff up and like do action sequences. <laughs> Cause that's what I love to do. But so, and, and I'm okay with that. But what, but I love Christopher Nolan movies cause they're just so thought out and so genius in his writing and something I can never do. So, and, um, I think it makes me enjoy his joy, enjoy his movies more because I can't, it's something I could never, I could never do. Um, but then I also like my next favorite director is probably somebody like John Favreau who mm. can do a little bit of everything. Like I love, like, which is what I'd probably be more interested in is like, Oh, I want to try a comedy and then try, you know, something else. like he's, you know, he did elf, the classic Christmas comedy that everybody loves. And was so one of my favorites, but then he also does Iron Man, which is like nothing like that. And it's like, and then he, and then of course the Mandalorian and it's just, his his spread of what he can do is pretty incredible too so like i aspire that too of like man it's cool that he can just do all these different things different genres and then i love that he throws himself in too because i would want to do the same thing so for a film i'm directing i would like i would totally throw myself in as like like an elf as the doctor like that's that's fun to me (laughs) yeah i enjoy that kind of stuff i would like because i'm not aspired to be like the leading the lead actor or the, the you know to do all the the big scenes like I would love to just dabble myself in there for funny little parts yeah. like in, in, in my projects. Like that's fun to me. I love that. The cameo, man, it's classic. And, and Nolan is such a good answer, man. He, he, you nailed it. Nobody can write a film like Christopher Nolan can, man. He, it's just so well thought out. You got to watch his movies three or four times to feel like you've even remotely grasped your head around all yeah. that he put into the script and the nuance. So that's a great answer, man. Well, Adam, this has been a fantastic episode, dude. We are so glad to have had you on the show. You have blessed us with lots of wisdom. We wish you lots of success as The Chosen continues, and we're excited to see your trajectory, man. Thank you for being here. Man, thanks for having me, guys. I had fun. Awesome, man. This has been an incredible episode of The Rough Cut Club, and tune in for the next episode. Cheers. Cheers.